Welcome to episode 31 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Richard, Seth Greenfield, and Walter Pisick. Good morning, gentlemen. We're actually running a little late this morning because it is day two of the Liberty Investor Day. And I think that seeing Curate might be in jeopardy. And those guys are crushing it. I think like the stock's up 40% since earnings. But you know, they, e-commerce is a pretty big thing right now. Well, it's not just e-commerce, Rich, but it's boomers e-commerce. Remember, Maffei started yesterday with boomers embracing digital. And I think maybe he was talking a little QVC.com or just <clears throat> maybe wanted to give a shout out to his own generation. I don't know. Can I just stop you for a second? I just had to correct you. My middle name is Scott. So just so you have that in your memory bank. No, it's not. It is. It really is. I thought it was so Seth. It's it's not. So, it, you know, it's I not can't help you. No. Oh, well, I apologize to all listeners after Rich and I have been working together. I don't know, like 15 <laughs> years. I've known you now, Rich. We both look very different before a little skinnier, but uh, I should know that by now. So we're going to get to the big topic of the week in the media world, which is in the legacy media world, which is certainly what's going on with Wonder Woman, which was that intro music. But Brandon, it's hard not to it's hard to understate like how big of a deal the IPO filing it it was the other day of Roblox. I thought we were going to talk more about the Liberty Investor Day. No, we'll get back to Liberty. We got Malone later on. We're not going to talk about faux Greg Maffei. No, let's talk about what matters, right. which is okay. Roblox. Okay, let's talk about Roblox. I mean, so the IPO filing hit last night and the number, we knew that engagement numbers were were crazy, but um, it's laid out right here. I'll just read for those who are listening on the podcast, a couple of the statistics that they gave up front in the IPO following, which is 31.1 million DAUs, 22 Point two billion hours engaged. But what is that? You, you said that very slowly. Yeah. What's the context of that? This I mean, is, okay. Twenty-two so this point is, two billion okay. is just a big number. Yeah. Well, this, like, who gives this a shit? Is, like, what's the number mean? Right. This this is nine months to date. But I I think what's really important here is that the average Roblox player is playing for two point six hours. Oh, there day. you go. Okay. That means a little bit more to me than some random big $22.2 billion number. No, hours engaged. $22 billion hours engaged. Okay, that means nothing to me. You could have said 45, you could have said 15. And I wish, fine. (laughs) And and I wish we could put up um, a chart, which we don't have, of how this has grown over time. And it's been exploding for pretty much exponentially for two or three years. I remember when we went to visit them, Rich, I think it was. 18 or so months ago and we took a look at the engagement chart and we're like holy shit i think it was like maybe a billion dollar company then well what really fascinated this, this me about that meeting double Brandon, digit billions yeah but what what amazed me about the meeting we had with roblox is they said the year before um we were there the top creator because remember the, the beauty about roblox is they have no cost of content the world creates yeah, the games it's, for them. Right. It's it's a UGC, it's essentially a UGC platform like creators make the like YouTube. For like YouTube. YouTube it's, right? Yeah, it's kind of the YouTube of the gaming world, only it's a quote metaverse play where 
you're getting 3D interactive experiences that are being created as opposed to linear videos. But the amazing but thing the was, model. but the amazing thing that I saw was what really made YouTube take off, right? Is that creators can make real money. So the top creator on Roblox, and this is now two years ago, I'm sure it's a bigger number now, but the top creator was some, some 18 year old that I think was heading to Duke who the year before made $3 yep. million on Roblox from the game and all the in-app purchases on the game he created. And that just sort of, to me, was stunning and showed you why people were going to create even more games for the platform. And, and by the way, Rich, the way they formalized the creation process, having academies to train kids as they get older and maybe grow out of the of being a Roblox, I'll call it player, but being on the platform to becoming a creator. And it's it's just a system that works. And at the same time, Roblox is aging up a little bit with with its audience. And there are better, more not better, but experiences on the platform that are being created for, that are more inclusive of of older players also. And I mean, this is different than than just a video game. Because I spend a lot of money on Robux for my 10 year old. A lot. <laughs> I got so I tweeted some of these stats yesterday and I got a whole bunch of emails just from parents who were complaining about in COVID how much money they were they were spending on Roblox. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But you know, the, the the interesting aspect of this is this doesn't really fit into that neat normal category of gaming the way you you know you cover things like EA and Activision. Yep. This is a very different business. No, it's 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 a real it's a real platform. It's with with well that mostly appeals to a, a younger demo, right? But there are experiences that are being created on there that are not just games. There are other ways to hang out and spend time. And it's not one controlled experience on the platform. Um, like, like you'll get if you buy a Call of Duty, because that's top of mind this week, or any of the other games. I just love the serendipity of like, there's always a new game. There's always something new to try and to play. And it's just the level of, cre it really reminds me of YouTube in terms of like, you, you know, every time you go on, there's something yeah. new and different and fun to try. And there's no cost to try. And, it's and, just and Epic will turn Fortnite and slowly is into the same thing. Okay. So, so, so you're starting to see you know, the battlegrounds drawn of of who the main players in this, you know, going for and I hate labels, you know, but going for the mythical metaverse, um, which which is going to become increasingly more important to the entertainment world. So I've got. Um, oh, here's Wonder Woman. Could Should we play the song again? No, I think we already played the song, but. You know, look, we've seen all of the movie studios struggling with like what to do. We've got this sort of like snowy car pileup of movies that have been waiting to be released. Obviously, Disney's putting out Soul on Christmas Day direct to Disney Plus. We've seen, you know, things like Mulan go to like a $30 premium inside of Disney All Access. Everyone's trying Universal Tried Trolls at a $20 price point direct to consumers. What makes Wonder Woman so interesting is 
we've watched Netflix fight for three years to release movies in theaters and on Netflix day and date. And the theaters always said, no, you can't do that. They wanted at least a 60 day window. And here we have um, the first major feature film ever by a studio that's going to be day and date in theaters if you want to go and direct to streaming at no extra cost if you want to watch it that way. It's a pretty big watershed event. I, you know, it's obviously COVID induced and COVID enabled in terms of the theaters can't really fight back. But it just feels like a big deal. Like, let consumers choose how they want to watch a piece of content. I mean, I'm sure we all feel like, why are there all of these rules? I mean, I know, but I don't think consumers understand. I think Greg Maffei yesterday was very poetic in how he described about how things that you would normally have expected to take years or months have been massively accelerated by uh, by the unfortunate pandemic. And this is clearly one of them. Um, so yeah, this is this is a pretty big pretty big move. My, my, you know, I was bringing this up to the kids um, <clears throat> last night, Rich, and they were more excited about Black Widow. Like, so we're more of they were really shitting all Marvel over Marvel. Family. You're a Marvel family. No, uh, yes, Marvel. You're right. Sorry, um, they we're were shitting. Family. They were like, shitting. No, we're DC. No, no, no. They were <laughs> sorry. They were shitting on the DC and how like okay. how they fucked up the universe and they're trying to be Marvel. Blah blah blah. So they were like. So I would I brought it th- this up and they started going crazy about Black Widow and like when they can see that and what the status is of that. So is do, well, do they care if if they see Black Widow on the big screen versus the small screen? No, I, don't th- I think they just want to see the content. Right? right. It's been a while since we've had, um, you know, the Marvel Universe come up with something. I think Spider-Man might have been the last one. We're talking about actually rewatching that this weekend. That's- but Rich, what's the what's the game plan for for Black Widow? You know, Disney's experimenting. It sounds like there was an article last night that hit deadline saying that three of Disney's lesser movies, Cruella, there's a Peter Pan and Mary, I think. There's a few movies that Disney started toying with following in the path of direct to Disney Plus. We don't know whether it's at $30 extra or just direct to Disney Plus at no incremental cost like Soul. So do you think that's a function of the fact that they put up these really good numbers so they're more comfortable with just dropping the shittier movies than than using Black Widow versus HBO Max, which probably needs something bigger like a Wonder Woman or a Tenant to drive the numbers? I think Disney Plus. I think Disney is still struggling. Their Marvel team, Kevin Feige and the Marvel team know that Black Widow in a normal box office world, could do a billion and a half dollars. They look at that money and just say, we can't take this and earn effectively nothing incremental off of it. Right. As opposed to HBO or AT&T, where they look at the fact that, okay, they could probably make a lot of money on Wonder Woman, but like they're just, their ramp has not been as successful as D plus. There's, there's probably more pressure to, to drop this in HBO max. Is that a fair Assessment? Yes, but I would just comment that it, it this is a monumentally difficult decision for AT&T. Remember, you have Gail Godot in your background. They had to go in, reach into their pocket and pay her as if that film did a billion dollars in the box office. Right. So like she's not taking a pay cut because they choose a different distribution. She sure. signed up for a movie that was going to do a billion dollars. And so I think it's noteworthy that AT&T was willing to actually allow Warner Media and the team at Warner Brothers to take a pretty big but financial look, the, hit. The, the, but the they're, payoff, well, but the they're also, to, by the way, they are releasing in theaters day and date. So they are going to get big they money. Are gonna, I, I know, but they are going to Are you get, going, Brandon? You're going to go to the theaters? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't go to the movies anyway, right? But the payoff could be large in terms of the move of the market cap, which is relevant, meaning yep. that 
you know, look, D plus or Disney, I think the stock was up partly on the fact that people kind of like those T plus numbers. So if they can ramp the HBO max numbers, obviously there's a lot of things that we have to consider with AT&T, but that certainly wouldn't hurt. So if you get a couple of billion dollar move on your stock price, yeah, you're not necessarily getting the revenue from the theaters, but again, it's like, this is part of the pivot that Stanky's executing on in terms of this company. Well, and remember the next slide we have is HBO Max PR saying Warner Media announces HBO Max is coming to Amazon Fire TV and Fire Tablets on November 17th. Look, I have no idea whether this was this was a coincidence or whether this was because they knew that Wonder Woman was coming and they wanted to start. Well, John Stevens it. Well, just it, spoke this morning at the Morgan Stanley TMT conference and effectively alluded to the fact that tied in the Wonder Woman move to this and basically referencing helping with negotiations. So I think there is a tie in, um, you know, to how this helped them. Right. And then you have the last piece of this, which was, you know, Malone was on TV earlier this week ahead of the Liberty Analyst Day that Brandon was talking about before basically saying that Roku, Apple TV and Amazon are effectively the new gatekeepers, the way cable used to be gatekeepers. And obviously there's one big platform that HBO Max is not on, which is Roku. And so the question really is going to become, can Roku not have HBO Max on Christmas Day? And if, if this is the if this content is able to be the battering ram that gets that deal done, that's a huge win for the HBO team, a huge win for well, Warner Media and AT&T. Get, get, it, get it done on the terms that AT&T is looking for. Right. And I think the reason that they've held back is because they're afraid of exactly what Malone is saying, that Roku and, I guess, and Apple and Amazon are going to become the new oligopoly that they have to pay rent to on an ongoing basis and the question is i mean even even if they do you know stay off it until they get their terms is is it too late anyway I mean, look the risk the risk to roku is amazon when you go to the amazon webpage to start buying all your christmas gifts says buy a fire tv and watch yeah. wonder woman like a just throwing from shade a com- at roku from a competitive for 20 bucks but like i don't think this is a winner take all market I think this is going to be wind up being an oligopoly market, and if they can each extract rents um, from from all of the streaming video players, it, there will be a pretty good business for all to be had. It, it was just fa- it was just fascinating to hear John Malone, who I've never heard speak in his life about sort of the TVOS platforms, come out and just sort of basically give the bull case on Roku. Uh, on CNBC the other day, and he did the same thing at the Paley Center uh, last week. Yeah, I mean, does Google and Amazon have the same <clears throat> needs for certain terms of a deal that Roku does? I mean, there's other ways that potentially those companies are monetizing it. So, and they're playing the long game. Also. Exactly, they're playing a longer game. Also, <laughs> they're not trying to establish the business model. They could. But good luck on Roku and, hang, and holding out. Much, well, that's a whole right. Yeah, but but you know the crazy part is, despite all of this competition. They have had a stranglehold. You know, we think Google TV, like I think the new Chromecast is the best product. I agree. By far. I agree with that. But nobody knows it. Nokia had the stranglehold in the the device market for a very long time. And then Motorola before them. Yeah, I've just been surprised that the competitors don't market as aggressively. They don't have the nobody knows what a Chromecast is. Like my mom has no idea. And by the way, the other thing, there there are no switching costs in this. There aren't easy right like like at the time when nokia had a 
had a stronghold. There was no switching costs. There became switching costs in that ecosystem after the app store. Yep. Okay. So Walt, why don't you walk us through this update on dish? This is um, a fierce wireless tweet talking about dish having to relinquish $3.3 billion of spectrum. Obviously that's completely false. Um, dish does not own um, that spectrum. They've already given it back to the government. <clears throat> I won't bore everyone with the the details of what's happening, but um, <clears throat> look, the, the FCC has been sitting on this issue where DISH um, was denied or their designated entities were denied some bidding credits. They finally um, ruled on it. All that just means is, is that DISH takes it back to court and we're going to get an answer um, two years from now, which we think they'll win. So, and that'll be under a, a new FCC, obviously, you know, relative to where yeah, we are At the today. end of the day, the court is going to decide and tell the FCC what they're going to do. I guess it's possible that whoever's running the FCC at that point can decide that they want to try and fight it further and take it to the Supreme Court. But I don't really think that's going to be the issue. The court will, it'll go back to the court. This is what Dish has been waiting for, <laughs> for over two years. This, this, but what happens to the spectrum in the interim? It just sits. Um, it should sit, but interestingly, um, you know, because of the pandemic, they have these things called um, temporary STAs um, that give AT&T and Verizon the use of the spectrum. <clears throat> and that happened to a lot of people. Like T-Mobile was able to use Dish's spectrum. And then the kind of the pandemic that changed and the STAs expired and, and T-Mobile was forced to pay Dish money for spectrum. Verizon had to give their spectrum back to Dish. But in the case of this controversial spectrum, the, the FCC is just letting AT&T and Verizon continue to use it. They're not paying the government money. Um, you know, They haven't had to give it back. I don't know what's going to happen if someone else puts up their hand and say they want to use it. It's, it's a very kind of odd situation, especially given um, you know, the current administration. There was this whole big thing with the C-band where everyone's like, oh, we can't enrich these companies. Well, you're enriching AT&T and Verizon right now. So where is the senator from Louisiana now asking why companies are getting free use of a public asset? It's it's kind of a fascinating a fascinating situation that that I think hasn't had much up, attention up to this point. So we'll see how that goes in the coming weeks. We're under a new administration. Um, why don't we move over to um, video games, Brandon? We've got some news on Call of Duty this week. Okay, I'll, I'll read these tweets. A couple, because Call of Duty Cold War came out last Friday, and we haven't heard any sales figures out of the company, which is unusual. Usually the How Wednesday- How soon they normally do it? Usually Wednesday. the Wednesday after the Friday it's released, you will get a press release that will have the numbers. And I think this has been a this has been a pretty much a battleground on how it was going to fare because of the rise of of warzone and the free to play experience the big battleground was is that going to cannibalize or is it going to make it easier to sell more units so the tweets are call of duty black ops cold war was the best-selling game in the UK last week when combining physical and digital. Digital sales were up 39% year-over-year, but total sales were down 16%. This is just in one market. Um, you're seeing the shift to digital, which COVID accelerated and is good for margins. But in one market, down sales, 16%, and we didn't get the press release. So... So the implication being the implication that global sales is, are down. Global sales 
are likely down. Now you're coming off of an extremely successful release last year, which continued to sell units through COVID through this year, but it, it is something to watch here. I think that part of it might be the shift to the, the new console cycle. And there could be a bunch of players who are waiting to get their new consoles before they go ahead and buy this game. And the consoles have been tough to get. I have one waiting with my doorman that hopefully I will, uh, next time I'm in New York, I will get, but, um, a lot of people complaining that it's impossible to, to get, to get the consoles. So let's see if that has an effect on the timing of purchases for, for games, even though you can upgrade. So it could just be, this could all just be timing versus, it, I mean, people are going to totally, freak it out. It totally could be. And I, I don't think there's much of a reason to freak out anyway. I mean, if <laughs> Call of Duty is a significantly larger franchise than it was at the at this time, a well, especially year ago. mobile. I mean, think about yeah, how much bigger you, mobile you added has mobile. We weren't you talking about mobile zone and yep. you sold a ton of units to to last year's game. It's it's a much bigger franchise. The question is, are sales going to be up or down this year? Um, my belief was that in the release quarter, sales would be up because of the success of Warzone, especially, but also mobile. And perhaps I was wrong. Either way, I mean, you're talking about a couple of million units. It's not going to make a break. So talking about app stores and gaming, I'm just going to read this. This is from Benedict Evans tweeting out Apple News. So big concession from Apple on App Store Commission, but also interestingly tactical. The App Store fee goes to 15% for less than $1 million per year. Helps small developers and startups, but not Spotify or Epic. And Apple has a strong case on Epic, but an unwinnable case on Spotify. Is this really a big deal? I mean, I know this, everyone's playing this up as a big deal, but this sort of seems like not much of a concession. I got to believe most of the money Apple yeah. makes is on the, 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 the top end of the, the oh, gaming yeah. world. It's, it's not probably, on the it's not just the, it, the games world, it's all subscriptions, right? But I think yeah. that the top, the over a million a year probably accounts, I think it's for something like 90% of the revenue and i look tim isn't as much to do about nothing look tim sweeney was out there saying it's not fair it's not a competitive market because of this and and startups can't get going and grow well apple's like okay well fuck you then we'll help those we'll help those smaller companies that need to be able to compete but we're not going to help you i think it was kind of a brilliant move by apple it's amazing. I think it's literally amazing, but I don't think it makes any real difference to Apple financially. It's just a matter no. of like it's positioning. A hundred percent. And I, I, I think it I think it was a good move. So Walt shouldn't start stressing about the services revenue coming down. Uh, Service revenues has already been moderating, but that's a different story. We'll see. We'll see what the the bundled package actually delivers. And people are trying to focus on the subscription numbers as well. So we'll see how those things continue to ramp next year. I'll tell you, my iPhone's too big. I got the new one. It feels like a brick. I've been <laughs> complaining about it all week. I've got the regular Pro coming, I don't, but I not, don't know but what to, it takes forever to get to here. Do with it. The the non-rounded edges, it just doesn't feel so so hot in the hand. I don't know. 
you're very particular about your technology. I know, I know. But like, Walt, wasn't there supposed to be a super cycle this year? And That's what they say. I had no What's problem getting this this phone. So this, I think, is, is actually uh, a big deal uh, for the creator economy. So YouTube, uh, as you probably know, YouTube shares revenue. This tweet says, YouTube will now show ads on all videos, even if creators don't want them via Forbes, uh, wrote this piece up. Basically, there was a new terms of service that went out from YouTube. And the basic gist of the terms of service is that now anybody, so like if Lightshed uploads a video to YouTube, normally we wouldn't be available for monetization. Uh, we couldn't have advertising until you got to a certain scale. And then you would choose whether at scale you wanted to monetize through advertising. Now what YouTube is saying is whether or not you're in the YouTube partner program to earn money from advertising, uh, on any video uploaded, they now have the right to put ads. And so if you anybody from you, your family, your kids, whatever, like they upload a video, there could be an ad in front of it. But the wrinkle is if there is an ad in front of it and they're not part of the, pro the partner program, YouTube, instead of keeping a percentage of the advertising revenue, keeps 100% of the advertising revenue. And so to me, I got to believe that there's a massive long tail of video content that YouTube can monetize, it's obviously less brand safe. And there's lots of brands that may not want to be on that longer tail set of, of, of videos. But YouTube was already a business that was doing in the last 12 months, 17 to 18 billion of revenue up, you know, probably 25% year over year. So for a really large business, this seems like just another way to infuse growth into 21. So are basically all the videos that we're seeing now going to have some of this ad load, no matter what it is, or is it just they're going to kind of pick and choose? Well, I pay not to see ads on YouTube, so I won't see any of them. But so for it, the average user, yes, you're going to see more ads on videos that have never had ads before. So I don't know why this, I don't pay for that, but I refuse, I refuse to but pay. So for is this it. part of the strategy then to drive people to pay for that then? No, I think I it's that think people so. don't mind. The, I mean, I think the ads are getting better and better targeted. I think there's usually one ad, maybe two. Well, in people a video. didn't mind it because they were only on on a select number of videos, but now they might mind it if they're going to see them on every video. So you're just basically irritating your your user base that they subscribe to your ad free business. I think a lot of the most content, of the what percent of the the videos have ads on them like of the engagement time let's let's go to engagement well, maybe i'm misunderstanding the number this. Of videos. weren't they just saying that they're going to drop them into everything now or no basically any video theoretically now could have ads <laughs> before it was the highly engaged videos okay so but now if i'm in my highly engaged video i get it that i had to pay for something now i'm going to click on some random video <laughs> And, and have a bunch of fucking ads pop up and you don't think that's going to well, not a, not the, a bunch, user? not a bunch, you know, an ad. But yes, you're right. Or are you uh, like the, apologizing for ads now? Like you actually up. enjoy your ads? I mean, I hate it. Look, I pay to get rid of for, ads. How so many years have we talked right, about the fact that how awful ads are, but now you're saying it's OK? Why the, are you the more interesting, this, Rich? Well, the more interesting part of this, like, why would you yes, want I, more ads on garbage YouTube things that get no engagement? Well, how about the creators who are like, now? why would you want to watch go garbage? <laughs> because it's so quick. That's fair. That's fair. But apparently people are right. I mean, that's what people that's are doing. Yeah. I, we should tweet out this segment right here because this is definitely the best part of the podcast. <laughs> so, you don't, so you don't think, though, that this is them just trying to get people to pay up for their ad free service? Because the other irritating I don't think thing I don't think they you, really care about subscriptions. 
well, every time I bring up YouTube, they're trying to get me to get YouTube TV and that's already super irritating. So it seems like they're trying to push people to at least that subscription because why do they probably keep asking you? How many times am I going to tell them no before they Probably stop? because your phone it's is insane. listening to me tell you how awesome YouTube TV is. <laughs> I, I, I get that advertisement every it's time that I pull up. You, it's you know horrible. What? Maybe they're just going to beat me to death on this because after this podcast, next time I get it, I'm paying my 10 bucks a month. I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> I just don't want to get that pop up. There you go. There's my theory then. Irritating the fuck out of you until yeah, you actually yeah. subscribe to their bullshit you service. You YouTube, win. You win. And then, and then, by the way, the following month will jack you an extra 10 or $20 a month for the for YouTube TV after you subscribe. <laughs> I, already well, pay for, I already pay for YouTube TV. I already have Google TV, right? I, I have two of them at this point. Uh, speaking of, Walt, just because I'll, I'm going to jump order for a second, just because it's yeah. so awesome that you brought it up. All of these services keep raising price. So YouTube TV raised price to $65 recently. Now we've got Hulu at $65. FUBU is at $65. Seems like every time we turn around, these services are jacking price by $10 a month and sort of feels like the old cable um, packages that went up uh, at you know a 5 to $10 every year. The interesting thing here is, yes, they're still cheaper than Comcast. They're still cheaper than Charter, but the gap is closing and the functionality is certainly better. Uh, it's easier to drop um, or churn on and off of these services. And that may be the thing that people don't realize is that as you raise the price, I think you're going to end up with a lot more inter-year churn where people come on for football season and off after football season. And that's going to lead to you know a lower number of subscribers for the whole industry for the year. But you know, clearly, this is all being driven by the fact that the content costs just keep going up at a crazy rate, despite the fact that the business is struggling. Look, I don't know what's on Hulu. Forget about the live TV for a second. But as part of this discussion we were having last night about Black Widow, uh, one of my teenagers, a senior, said that of all the of his favorite um, services, he watches Hulu. So I don't, I don't know what they have on. And my daughter, I think, just crushes Netflix, but. For some reason, Hulu is, has attracted his attention. What kind of stuff is on there, Rich? I mean, you've got uh, you know a lot of you know recent television, right? So if you're not watching mm-hmm. linear television, you can watch Dancing with the Stars. You can watch The Bachelorette. You can watch This those. Is Us. Yeah. I think he's watching The Bachelorette. I'm going to have to explore this further. But <laughs> that was a surprise to me because I'm like Hulu. That would have been the last thing I would have expected him. And he's a huge Avengers. So, but you know, with D plus, I think he's kind of seen as much as he wants to see on on Avengers. I will say, I'm sure he's not watching this, but um, I do know what my teenagers watch on Hulu. They love that you can get all of the Kardashians. Yeah, he's definitely not watching that. <laughs> uh, Brandon, how am I going to see 45 major concerts in I, 2022? This, this is a pretty. This is from Live Nation's. Liberty Investor Day presentation yesterday, and they put up this slide for those who can't see it um, about the number of artists touring that have sold over 500,000 tickets before. And it's pretty steady. 2017, 18 and 19 were either 25 or 26 and obviously zero in 2020. But they're telling us to that they have booked 15 to 20 for next year. And remember, next year is only going to be a half a year of touring, really, hopefully. And that they expect around 45 for 2022. So the supply side is well intact. 
um, for Live Nation. It depend uh, the demand side seems to be all the survey work that they've done. Ninety five percent of fans are going to come back, and no one's returning their tickets. So people definitely also want to go to shows. But I think the question you're asking is: Is there just too much supply? And are they going to hurt each other? Does, like, are they going to have half the ticket gonna sales? Be, is there going to be cannibalization within the industry, which is, you know, which is probably difficult um, to predict? I, mean, I think that's the I most think, concerts in the history of major tours that's does, ever occurred. Brandon, how does behavior work? Because I would think that obviously there's people like yourself that that go to multiple um, events many, per many. year, yep. right? But are there other people that maybe just that go to every couple well, of years? I think the, I think the average concert goer goes to like i think it was like 2.1 shows um per year or so there's not people that are out like there they're that. doing like a show every two years so maybe there's no, like a course, pent up. Of, no of course of course so there's, maybe there's, there's some of that pent up demand yeah. that that's going to fill that that supply i of i those think people. i personally believe that demand is going to be extremely rapid and people coming out of covid it's going to be roaring 20s and people are going to just want to keep that's 2021 going. that continues into do, 2022 do well this starts in the first half of 21 right right so by 2022 that, ra 20, that rabid 22. need for live entertainment is still going to be there because that's when the bulk of that bar chart was showing right the 45 yeah units in 22 it's, as opposed to 21 it's, it's the back half of this year like 20 or sorry, the back half of 21 yep. and, and all that. That is, that's a great question. And look, Live Nation stock right now, if if you take out the cash, if you add back, sorry, the cash they're burning this year is trading at all-time highs and they're going to need to come out and prove that they have as good or better of a business coming out of the pandemic than they did before. Is there any crossover with sports? I mean, I, you think about, again, going back to Maffei's comments about the pandemic accelerating trends, there's clearly a downward yeah. trend of people going to baseball games. So like, is the guy saying like, all right, well, I'm going to my baseball tickets and go to a live event live, in 2022? Live, yeah, it could be. I mean, live entertainment trends have been incredible um, over the last decade, mm -hmm. just growing you know, high single digits, um, pretty, pretty consistently. Uh, the live experience has, has became performed like concerts or what yeah. about sports though? Um, I, mean, I think, people... I think it's, a, it's, it's a little broader than that. I don't think sports attendance, um, had really moved either way, to be honest, okay. except it, for the it, Marlins. It was, it was pretty flat. Um, over the last several years, but do you think the pandemic? So you're talking about that. viewership is are down. Are you talking for, about substitution? Right, a hundred percent. I'm talking about okay, substitution. Yeah. If viewership is down fifty percent, and so if people there's are, less interest in sports, do people correct. scratch that itch by going to a concert exactly or a I'm different saying. event? It's possible. Well, we we honestly don't know. Um, we know interesting to say what we do know we know there there's going to be massive supply i think there's going to be rabid demand um well cuban where, thinks that there's going to be rabid demand coming back for sports right that's that was when, when we did our light shed live with him earlier in the year that was his point is that there is this demand for sports it's just weird that well you have, you mean, have viewership down so much from a viewership point so of view, i want to watch there it on wasn't. tv but i'm rabid to get there <laughs> I, I agree with you so yeah. like so how is your viewership down 50%, but then you're going to rapidly come back to go to the games? That seems like a little bit of a disconnect, but we'll see. We'll see it's what a, happens. It It'll is, be very interesting. 
the difference also maybe well when when we watch on tv that's kind of an everyday event and going to a game is a couple of times a season event so it's it's a little more limited and special anyway right but if you're disinterested in the team maybe you well, spend fully, those, maybe, maybe you, you just, spend those you dollars to, on yeah, a concert maybe. or some other live whatever live whatever you know they're they're offering you they're going to do that it's substitution right totally so but look, we're worried about this exact same issue in the movie business. You know, G the team at Universal, uh, Jeff Shell has been pretty public. He's the CEO of Universal, and he's been pretty public about the need for windowing to change. And they got the first deal done with AMC um, or took trolls directly to consumers, then got a deal done after sort of a war of words with AMC. But in just the last week, Universal's gotten deals done with both Cinemark and Cineplex is up in Canada. So two of the other, you know, kind of major North American theater chains for shorter windows. And I think this is going to be a really big deal. Obviously, we talked about Wonder Woman earlier on in the podcast, but the challenge that the movie studios have is even if everyone takes the vaccine, like and obviously not everyone's going to and theaters reopen, you know, to Brandon, to the same thing you're talking about with concerts in 2021, especially into 2022, there's just too many movies that are going to be coming out. There's no way. Uh, there's going to be enough bodies in seats or, you know, sort of butts in seats to to make all of these movies do what they would have done in 2019 yeah. in 2022. And so having a different model is critical. And I think, you know, in this case, we're talking probably PVOD so that, you know, three weeks after a movie comes out in theaters, day 17, you know, something like that. These things can be directly into the home at a flexible price point. I think that's going to be really important for the movie industry to figure out new ways of monetizing. Obviously, Warner's trying day and date with SVOD. There'll be a bunch of different models. But, you know, if you don't, you know, I think this the comment at the bottom uh, from Jason Garacio says Universal's out here playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. And that sort of strikes me as sort of like what's important here is lots of studios are just experimenting, putting a movie out direct to SVOD putting a movie out, you know, charging $30 extra for it like Mulan. What Universal is doing is setting actual structural change for the industry for the future. Like this is the way it's going to function from here on out. That's why this is so important is like redefining the rules of the game going forward. And I think this is this is differs a little bit from the live entertainment business in that this was also an industry that was in secular decline going into the pandemic where yep. people are preferring to watch or had been even preferring to watch this content in other places anyway whereas with the live entertainment business that's an experience that even with all the live streaming we've seen in the pandemic is not a replicable experience and it's also a much more social experience than sitting in a movie theater. So it's, well, it's a little you, apples and oranges. What's going on here with Neville Ray? Um, so this uh, person, Diana, is tweeting. Uh, basically, Neville was speaking somewhere and effectively was ripping into ORAM, which is a technology that dishes is kind of settled on Rakuten um, and many other companies, Vodafone, frankly. <laughs> has embraced it. Um, and Neville's saying it's not ready for prime time. I'm not going to go out and chase a bunch of capital efficiencies. So, you know, this is, you know, for a while, everyone's like, well, Dish is not going to build. And then all of a sudden, they started signing up some vendors and they did a deal with Crown Castle for 20,000 
um, sell sites. I think, you know, it's time now for the companies to start ripping into Dish ahead of their ahead of their launch. And what's interesting from a technology perspective is um, the commoditization of hardware certainly helped the enterprise space. Um, at the time when that was happening, there's similar concerns were said, like, you, no one gets fired for hiring IBM. And it basically Neville was making this argument like, oh, if something goes wrong with my network, I'll just call Nokia. And I have one guy to call. I have to call a bunch of random vendors. I'm like, I'm not really sure. I mean, you probably employ hundreds, if not thousands of, of engineers. So I doubt you just call one person. I mean, T-Mobile did have a 12-hour shutdown of their network. But isn't this what makes isn't this what makes dishes build out so much more like just financially possible is that this technology has been commoditized? I don't know that if it's financially possible, it should certainly help cost. Um, it's just more flexible in terms of how you build the network and the service offerings that you can have. But yes, it should theoretically increase um, your returns because look, if Qualcomm's in there helping you giving every you know Tom, Dick, and Harry a module to make a radio so you're not reliant upon Nokia and Ericsson, that should drive your costs down and, get you, and increase your supply chain um, capabilities. Maybe makes it slightly more... Um, complex but you know there's these networks are already complex as it is it's worked before and again it's not just dish and rakuten right. vodafone is has been embracing this but vodafone's a you know global operations and wireless i mean this is is really the way of the future it's clearly easier for a company like dish when you're building from scratch to do something clean and flexible like Oran, it's harder for someone that's got a lot of legacy stuff. And look at T-Mobile, like they're integrating what was a very complex, shitty network in Sprint. So it's clearly harder to kind of make those types of changes. And let's just also keep in mind, every CEO or CTO talks their book. <laughs> and like Neville would used to shit all over 2.5 Spectrum, um, which now is like what's considered the treasure trove that T-Mobile is going to use to, you know, to crush the competition. So he'll be loving this commoditized um, set of products and services in a couple of years. In the future, sure, yeah, absolutely, for sure. They, they will for benefit. Sure. They will benefit from it. But right. at that point, Dish has p- potentially positioned themselves as a disruptor. Like you, you have like a window of opportunity to use what potentially is a technological advantage in terms of the flexibility that you're offering to customers. It could be that that market never materializes fast enough and. Dish's competitors come up with something that's alternative. And certainly already, you know, Verizon is trying to glom on to the AWS business of Amazon and AT&T is trying to glom on to Microsoft's Azure business. So they're trying to lock up the big boys. But if you offer something innovative and flexible, um, you know, we'll see. It's, it's, it's definitely, I think, starting to get um, people within the industry, the incumbents, a little worried. But we'll see how Dish has to execute, right? And that's Speaking not an easy task. Speak, speaking of innovating and iterating, yeah, Twitter's rolling out their version of stories, which innovation. I, I don't know if, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I, I, I'll say, Brandon, it's it's hard for me because on the one hand, I look at this and I go, when when Instagram rolled out stories, I think a lot of us sort of laughed and said, oh, they're just copying Snapchat. This I, I, I certainly didn't, if you remember. I know. <laughs> um, I wasn't sure, like left, right, up, down. This is so different, but, but and I'm it, so used but it, to it. Fit the it fit the platform, and I I don't know. I my experience with Fleet so far, I feel like yeah, you know, people don't know what the hell to do with it. And I under I understand why Twitter 
added it because it makes it easier to add creators onto the platform using that word very loosely um, and to change the ratio of those who tweet versus those who simply read and to maybe have some broader content on there. But I, I don't get it. I don't think it fits the platform and uh, hopefully they, they can add some, put some ad units uh, on the back of it because there's a proven business model there. Why not oh, take a oh, shot? Oh. Why not take a shot though? Like take a yeah. shot, see sure. if it works. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Can't hurt. Yeah, right? I, agree, I agree. I mean, with we'll that. see what G- Gary V is is kind of the expert at, at excelling on new platforms. So we'll we'll see. He's already been fleeting or posting his stories on Twitter. Um, how so we'll how are LinkedIn stories doing? I have not posted after my first one. I still plan to be the boss. Yeah, there. I mean, if I think it, I still have an opportunity. Maybe I'll be the boss of fleets. Maybe I'll start it, fleeting. In a lot of ways, I think of it as as more similar to the LinkedIn story than I do to, you know, a, a Snap or Instagram story. I saw a TikTok recently where, you know, somebody was basically saying, here's me on, and he went through every single platform and base. maybe there'll be, maybe that's our, our business idea, create a software plat- platform that drops it into every one of these different stories things. And it's just a matter of different <laughs> distribution. I got decent, en- I got to say, I, I put one up, a random one, a picture of my dog. I thought I got decent engagement just because like people are going to try your, it. Your and, dog like, is cute though. Look, people, it's, people are bored. It's sitting there at the top. Like, all right, I'll fucking hit it and see what Walt, what idiot thing Walt's doing. And you click through it and like, I don't know, it's worth a shot. Maybe look, they, they had, um, what was well, I get it? it. What was the little short video thing that they had that they killed? I mean, that, um, I'm blanking on the name. Vine. Vine. Right. I mean, they tried Vine out. I thought Vine was pretty good. Yeah. And they killed it. And then everyone and then was regretting that they, yeah, yeah, and then TikTok, TikTok became yeah. out of Vine. So, not to say that this well, is innovative, but it was similar to Vine. It didn't come out. Do you oh, think yes. Maria Barat Bartiromo will be fleeting because she's still has not left Twitter as promised two weeks ago? Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of her fleets. And saying, Parler maybe keeps all dropping. Fleets talking about how she's leaving to go to Parler. And Parlor keeps dropping in the app store and has less and less buzz by the day. But we'll see. I'm a little. I was. I was leaving Parlor. (laughs) Okay, let's go to um, Sinclair doing a deal. Uh, This is a Wall Street Journal. Sinclair Broadcast Group's teaming up with Bally's to use the casino operator's brand on its regional sports network. So we've never seen naming rights for cable networks before. This is definitely a first. Sort of weird putting a gaming company or, you know, onto sports networks brand and like sort of. It actually, as a, as a sports fan and as someone who cares about the future of sports and the business, this kind of bothers me because I, I think there's a real double-edged sword in building all, all where the idea of all sports engagement around betting and essentially by naming the, the networks after a betting platform, that's, that's kind of what you're doing. And I think that sports betting can be additive, but I don't think it's the panacea for, for engagement with sports content. I think that there, there are still a, a lot of other reasons to, to watch sports. And I think that you don't want to just make it all about sports betting. Well, so let's listen to what, what Ripley what you- said was... 
Well, I was going to say, like, let's okay. listen to him All actually right. describe what he's trying to do and why this relationship. So we've got some audio here. Let's go to the audio tape of Chris Rispley from Sinclair. Okay. So, look, the, the, the overall vision, which this is a keystone um, keystone uh, component of, is, is to gamify sports. I talk about this a lot, but it's, uh, you know, to, to say it in, in as brief, uh, as briefly as we can, is, is to make watching sports like playing a video game okay i i, I understand that <laughs> he, you do? they have a problem think he's played a video game does <laughs> no. he watch sports i don't i mean i don't play video like I, they're totally different things i mean what he's trying to do is appeal to younger demos which we have raised concern about in terms of engagement with sports um, you mean the again, people that are watching YouTube videos of highlights of Major League Baseball games? Those people, or or even the ones that aren't, right? Right. And so, okay, how do we appeal to younger demos? We need something interactive. We need to gamify it, right? But then it kind of that also changes what sports is. And I think you need to f- strike a balance there, and you don't want to go too far in that direction. I think there's a lot of people in in both the broadcasts and sports businesses who think sports betting is the absolute panacea. And I think it's going to be, a, you know, a part of, of what keeps fans engaged with sports, but I think it's dangerous to make it everything. So why were the sports betting apps ramping and viewership diving at the same time? <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> Is that working again? What what I would really like to see, and I don't, I don't know exactly how to do this project. Maybe through RSNs, is see how engagement has been in the states that have recently legalized mobile sports betting, and compare it to the states that haven't. I think we'd probably have to pay for some Nielsen data. I don't know if we want to do that. If any, if anyone who's listening out there has done this exercise. (laughs) Um, send please, it to us for please, free. Yeah, <laughs> send it to us for free or get in touch with us. We'll give you a shout out. Um, a shout I'm, out. That's yeah. our payment. <laughs> Not money, but a shout out. <laughs> I just wanted to highlight because it, it, it sort of ties into what Sinclair is talking about. I don't think this is sort of, you know, create, making it feel like a video game, but I, I do think that the level of interactivity is interesting. So Manny Anakel. Uh, wrote what Twitch is doing with NFL broadcast shows the future potential for sports betting streamers plus viewers plus engagement plus rewards equals in this case a bag of money meaning that's the way you're sure. going to drive incremental dollars and it's hard to disagree so what you see on the screen is and I, and I got- think and I think that there should be a broadcast that's geared towards betting I don't think it should be the main broadcast though and I don't think that should be the strat the overall overriding strategy which naming your networks bally's kind of implies yeah like I Some, mean look this this is an example where it says will the Cardinals run more passing or rushing plays on this drive I can't see myself doing that I mean I'm sure there's people that want to I like watching the game I don't there's going to be by the way much better in-game betting than this. If you look at what Simple Bet is doing, for instance, there there is some amazing technology there. So if there's and an gonna, alternative broadcast, as you're talking about, uh, Brandon, does that mean I can get a different announcer as well? <laughs> I know you hate Joe Buff. This is, I think it's the second week in a row we brought that up. 
look, I think there's going to be lots of dollars that are going to flow from this. I think it's going to be a meaningful business. What I worry about, though, is I don't know if it's going to make people who aren't watching start to watch. That's where I, I grow skeptical. I think this is a great way to monetize people who love betting on sports and are probably already doing it through DraftKings or you know a number of ways through both fantasy, legal betting, and even illegal off-the-books betting. I just don't know if this gets a whole new class of people to start watching sports. That's oh, where and, I sort and, of and like in terms struggle. Of football, though, like a lot of people are on um, the red zone, right? So this seems like something that's more appropriate for an, an individual game. So the times when maybe not, maybe the afternoon game or those single games, Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, that that seems to make more sense when you're kind of stuck in the game as opposed to maybe flipping channels or or looking at red zone, which many people do. And a gambler type of person obviously is more likely to watch a red zone or the fantasy channel of, of Sunday ticket than they would yeah. be one individual game. I just watch um, red zone because I'm ADD. Richie, you're frozen. Are we moving? No, forward? I'm just. Oh. Yeah, Rich, you can hear me. We were pondering that. I didn't think I, what I said was that prophetic, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I just. I... I just I'm really struggling on this point of like what's going to happen to the future of sports with with gaming and like how this really changes it. And, you know, you've got all of these video game companies. It's like it's funny that Twitch is doing that, right? Because Twitch and the overall video game space is eating into sports viewing overall and, you know, watching video games like we were talking yeah, about. Roblox. And, but, but again, Rich, you need to you do. And Ripley is right about this. Have to figure out a way to appeal to younger viewers. Right. I just you do. I, I just don't know if you want to center the entire strategy around betting. That's so all. get one of the one of the streamers that they listen to as an announcer, as right. one Chain, a, as one of many different things. That's right. If you think some kid wants to listen to Al Michaels and some of the, like the you know the boomer references that he makes <laughs> on every game, <laughs> no. Let's it's go not to entertaining. Finals. I mean, you remember back when they had Howard Cosell? Part of the reason Howard Cosell did well. It's because he irritated the fuck out of people. Like this is a different type of annoyance that a lot of these announcers have. Like you know, they have to find something else that appeals to the youth because they're just not interested in the games. So let's go to the final slide because you know it, it's always fun to talk about Verizon doing things in the media world. And so in this case, they're unloading HuffPost to BuzzFeed, which if they were getting cash would be awesome. What sort of surprised me, Walt, is they're they're giving stock kind of doing a stock deal into this into buzzfeed so i guess they're get verizon's getting buzzfeed stock but they're also contributing verizon's putting cash into buzzfeed at a billion seven valuation i i just i don't understand why verizon keeps you know they, they have all of these media assets that have just not performed and it's just like a, it's a never ending series of like head scratchers for Verizon in the interactive media world. I mean, AOL, Yahoo. Now they own a piece of BuzzFeed. I, I don't get it at all. Well, maybe it's, you know, look, this is all a vestige of Lowell McAdam getting into the media business. You remember John Ledger used to rip into him talking about like, oh, Lowell's trying to figure out how to <laughs> how to appeal to the millennials. Um, so they have these media assets. And then I think a year ago or, or so, when, when Hans was in there, there was a lot of press stories from legitimate press outlets, um, you know, people that have good sources, um, 
saying that they were looking to sell it. Maybe the answer is they just couldn't sell it. <laughs> they couldn't sell. So now you've got this guy, Guru, well, that's like basically just trying to figure out what to do with something that you can't sell at what you think is a reasonable price. Yeah. In a, in a way, though, they kind of just, they merged their asset into BuzzFeed, right? And then they took an equity stake in yep. BuzzFeed as a result. And I think the idea for BuzzFeed is to hopefully one day probably do a SPAC or something. That's <laughs> Maybe. The flavor of the I, don't, I don't know how else they'll get public, right? So to sure. do a SPAC and then that gives some liquidity to Verizon and they can sure. exit the stake because they couldn't sell HuffPo to any of these digital publishers because they have no cash. But so the way, I, that's how when I sure. read the headlines, I was like, oh, this is their way out. Maybe let's they'll also come up with a sports betting like strategy. Doubling down. Maybe, Maybe they'll have a sports betting and a connected TV strategy, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, Let, let's just keep in mind this is meaningless to Verizon. Oh, totally I meaningless. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like, well, but it, but it does hint at a larger theme, right? It does kind of speak to the piece we wrote this week on why Comcast and NBC should, or why Comcast and AT and T should merge their media businesses in NBC, Universal, and Warner Media. Is that there is no benefit to vertical integration, and I, I think AT, you know, sorry, Verizon in this case certainly learned that owning, you know, digital content businesses yep. doesn't help them. We should have even put that in our piece. Like everywhere yeah. you've looked, vertical integration yep. hasn't created value. This is just another example of something that's being unwound that didn't create value. Yeah, look, AT and T made a huge deal when they were buying Time Warner about like how this was going to help the. The you know the wireless business and the Mavisodes have always about- hated vertical integration in media. Going back to AOL Time Warner, don't think it's ever worked. Think that Comcast got not lucky because there was some really good execution against it, but they definitely bought NBCU at a very good time, kind of pre well. pre retrans by the way, yeah. in a recession, right? But at at this point. It's 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 time to undo that. And Time Warner is is the natural fit there. They could probably put something together with a story that's similar to the one that Disney's pitching to the street around D plus and their over the top assets by combining those studios and using HBO as sort of the the center the centerpiece. So you know what and, media strategy had a bigger impact on Verizon's business than any of this nonsense that they inherited from Lowell McAdam? Integrating Alice. D plus into the into their wireless bundle. Right. Well, and it's effectively T-Mobile, a replication of what Netflix. T-Mobile. That's what I was just gonna say, which is a, effectively yeah. a replication of what T Mobile did. So but yeah, so you're you're talking about solving the problem with biz dev deals, sure, not needing to be combined. And well, by the Charter. way, Com- Charter Comcast, has no biz dev. Com exactly. Comcast would rip if they did this deal for two reasons, right? One is I think the cable business would re-rate way higher. Then you have massive synergies between Twix and NBCU. I love that you still and call it you, Twix. I love I that you still call it, it Twix. That's whatever. Amazing. Amazing. And, and, and you have a story. I yep. just don't think that Brian really wants to go in that direction. Okay, But let's shift off of Brian for a second. Don't you yeah. think that Stanky is taking this company in a different direction? I mean, every indication seems to be that they're willing to kind of undo some of the things that have been kind of put together under Randall. Takes Stevenson. two to tango though. Sure. In that case, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. In the case yeah. of getting rid of DirecTV, maybe not. Like maybe they just find an intermediary in the meantime. But you're right. It does take two to tango, but yeah, everything, can, I will everything say, can be solved with price. <laughs> but but I wasn't on it, but I was told. But maybe, but maybe not solving with price. 
And th- this is kind of the point because, again, I think Comcast stock would explode if they did this deal. But that isn't necessarily Comcast's number one priority. I was just surprised. I think AT and T this morning. I think Stevens was speaking. Um, Walt, I think you were on it, but I think he made some comment that Turner's. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if he said the word critical, but certainly an important piece of Warner Media. And you know, we certainly look at the cable network business. It's great free cash flow, but it's a secularly declining business. And so I, you know, it's. I Sean Stevens will not be with the company in a couple of months. So well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so that can be an interesting viewpoint, but yeah, things do. But change. it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> things do change. Okay, we we won't be on the podcast until after Thanksgiving, Brandon. So uh, are we going to play Brandon, the are we going to play the turkey trot? I really wanted to start the podcast with this. I was overruled. No, no so, we're not playing the turkey trot. I don't even have on. it queued up. Sorry. <laughs> well, let let me pull it up. On. Rich, what is your favorite side gonna, dish? Or, by the way, are we going to get a DMCA takedown notice for no. for all this awesome no. music that we're playing? No, no, it's it's why we use Vimeo. Rich, what is your what is your favorite side dish for Thanksgiving? Uh, I am a big stuffing fan. Well, what about you? Does that really count as a side dish? That's kind of part of the whole turkey thing. Brandon, what's your favorite side dish? Do you have one? Green beans? Are you like a green bean? Sweet, sweet like... potato pie. Sweet potato oh, pie. If I'm going to be potatoes. honest, disgusting. I I like mashed potatoes. Yeah, that's a good with, one with a with a lot of onions in them. My mom used to make a delicious onions. creamed onions that was delightful, but you know, we're not going to be together this Thanksgiving, unfortunately. So um, I'm going to have to pass. I'll move on to cranberry perhaps. And this not, not like that, not the, like the, the stuff with the cranberries in it, this the stuff out of the can, not mixed up, like literally what? out of the can where you can see the ridges. That's you like the that? Cranberry. Yeah. Uh, it, okay. It, we got to get to a Liberty. I don't like the day. consistency. Oh yeah. Liberty. We got to go to Liberty. I know. I'm excited. By the way, just one word on Liberty. I actually yeah. really liked Mafei's intro yesterday video that was was pretty amazing amazing. it was it was actually pretty awesome usually he has a theme where i last year it was audio and this year he kind of did more of a state of the world and what covid means and there were a lot of little interesting nuggets in there my favorite was was when he talked about the the elasticity of work time (laughs) i was like One way to to finally phrase it. We gotta get to liberty. Let's go. It was good. All right, let's get to liberty. Bye. Later.